I'm Paul Jurgens, the news director at KFGO, uh, sitting down with uh, longtime West Fargo Police Lieutenant Greg Warren. Uh, more than 47 years in law enforcement, probably closer to 50. Uh, thanks for sitting down with us, uh, Greg. We've known each other a long time. Yep, for and, sure. And uh, your family has a law enforcement uh, background. Uh, how did you get into this uh, this position? Why how, did you go to law enforcement? How this all started? Uh, well, I didn't think it was going to start because our dad was involved in law enforcement for most of his career, and we moved here. Long story short, we moved here in 66 from Jamestown, dad moved here because uh, he got on with the marshal service and, of course, attended school, high school here and graduated from here and uh, went to school out in Bismarck uh, for a couple of years going, well, what am I going to do? And uh, came back and and uh, wasn't sure if I wanted to get into law enforcement. So long story short, again, dad said, well, if you're going to get into law enforcement, the first place you start is in a jail. You work in a jail. And at the time, I th didn't think he knew what he was talking about. And of course, I was a smart one. But I did. Worked at the Cass County Jail uh, for about a year, and probably the smartest thing I ever did because you got to know and understand all aspects of law enforcement because you dealt with the uh, law enforcement officers, you de dealt with the people in jail, why are they were there. They weren't all bad people, and you, you just kind of you got a niche for how all of that worked. And really, to be honest, uh, there's probably a chance I'd have been at the Cass County State's Attorney or Sheriff's Office uh, to this day. Uh, but the jail got condemned after about six months. I was there, and a guy escaped through the ceiling. And, uh, and then we had to transport prisoners every night. I worked nights, and I just started applying across around the state and got an opening in West Fargo, thinking that four or five years in West Fargo, and then I'd move on. And uh, it's obvious that did not happen. A lot of things played into that. And uh, um, after uh, a few short months, uh, my now wife, Brenda Warren from Ada, uh, showed up and uh, became the part-time clerk of court and dispatcher. And uh, uh, we ended up hanging out quite a bit, dated, and uh, eventually married. And um, I always wanted to uh, get into investigations. Um, I mean, I knew that really, really early on. Um, of course, we were a small department, so you just you didn't. There weren't openings. You didn't move up the ladder very fast. And uh, I had a lot of friends here. Um, enjoyed uh, working here. It's obvious. And. Uh, one thing led to another, and I worked nights on patrol for 19 years. West Fargo got to know all the agencies and people and was lucky enough to get investigations in 94. Uh, Don Jones, uh, who was a mentor, um, decided to go work narcotics, and he'd been doing investigations for just about 20 years when he went to narcotics. So I took over the position in uh, 94, and have stayed in investigations, which normally it doesn't happen for that long, but it was, it's what I really loved uh, to do. And, uh, you know, looking back, I'm, I'm not sure where all the years have gone, but you know, like I said, Father Time waits for no one. <laughs> but uh, have, have been able to work with uh, some incredible people in all aspects of employment, law enforcement, uh, 
media, you guys, um, uh, that's kind of where it started. I, I was sergeant, um, became lieutenant in, I think, 17, 16, 17, 2016, 17, I don't even, yeah, not exactly sure. So when I started in investigations, um, I was the only investigator, had no help. Uh, Arlen Morassenson was our chief. Um, I should note that uh, before I get too far ahead that I was uh, hired by uh, Chief Ken Hansen. Um, at the time, he, uh, he must have seen something in me to give me a shot at it. At the time, I was pretty young and pretty green. Um, and then Arland came along. I actually, uh, before Arland came along, I put in for the chief's position as well. I think that was in 95, and uh, it was kind of between him and I. And I will always remember going to talk to Arland because I had worked with Arland Rasmussen. He was with he, the sheriff's office. With the sheriff's for office years. for years. Yep. And he was in investigations, and I, I just, and I, he was there when I was there. In fact, I drove his patrol car once in a while when we did part-time patrol working in the jail. And uh, I remember going to Ireland before they had made their decision on the chief, and I said, I really want this, but if I don't get it, you're the only person that I want to come over here. That was, you know, as far as the field of candidates. So he became uh, the chief, and uh, it took a while to grow. Uh, it, was, it was night and day for me going from patrol I was pretty burned out doing 19 years getting investigations and uh, starting to work with all the other investigators in Cass County and Moorhead and Clay and Fargo PD uh, it was all really new to me and I just uh, I kind of got I got a my fire relit in 94 95 and and uh, you know here I am today uh, with uh, have have several divisions, 23 people underneath me. Uh, I got three sergeants. Um, I got SRO. I think we're, I think we have nine people in the SRO division. We have four in the narcotics division. We have five in our detective division. Uh, we're short a person there. We have crime-free housing. Pam Coda is in there and um, evidence technician. And uh, like I said, three, three sergeants. So in 94, I was by myself, and today we got 23, and I've just, it, every time I look around, I'm like, how did this happen, and what am I still doing here? <laughs> you started in 74 with the... Uh, yeah, with the Cass County Sheriff's and Department. And then uh, just a short time, about a year. Then, yeah, it you know, was how, almost... Do you recall how many sworn officers there were in West Fargo when you came here? Uh, I think we're at eight or nine. Yeah. Yeah, so... Somewhere small, right in there. Very small department. And two cars, one ran, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think. And I, I, I recall so many things, but there was times our cars would be broke down. I can remember John Jones was, I was still all on patrol, and I think one night we had the unmarked detective car, and we had three officers in the car. So if we arrested anybody, we had to call the county to haul them to the jail. <laughs> so it was pretty unrefined at times, but it was, uh, it was very, uh, very interesting where we were, you know, and where we started to get to and where we are today with, uh, you know, the refined law enforcement. And 
Um, I'm sure with the amount of years you've done that, you've seen seen a lot of that too, where law enforcement has come, where the media has come, and the relationship, um, it, which is a huge deal with law enforcement and the media, because it it can be a crutch or it can be a it can be a savior for your department. And uh, I've watched all of that transition and and come around and come together and trust and rapport and uh, colleagues on on both sides, which is um, just really important in our day and age that we're dealing with today. Well, yeah. as, as uh, I've known you for a long time, and and you've we've got a pretty good working relationship have over the years. But you you were one of the many officers, I should say, that realized that you know what the media is not necessarily your enemy, right? Or, and, and and you know you're we're going to need these news people at certain points. So let's, let's try to have a relationship. Yeah. The common ground, what we didn't have, we had to find the common ground. And I think we found that. And you're always going to have glitches with, uh, I mean, you'll have glitches with other police departments and you know, how, how things are run and uh, putting things together. But one of the things that's very, very unique with our area here is that first of all, we have two interstate systems that crisscross our cities here, you don't have that. That go to every corner of the United States, and you, you, a lot of other places you don't have that. And because we have that, uh, we have a lot of things that travel on those highways. A lot of it is illegal. A lot of it's narcotics. A lot of it's uh, can be sex offenders. Uh, people that are escaping things they did in the big city or, or coming here. And because of that, and the reason I bring that up, I'm getting to our uh, specialty uh, units that we have, whether it's a SWAT team, whether it's a, a card abduction response team, um, street crimes unit, um, incorporates uh, not only agencies and officers from our North Dakota side, but from the Minnesota side. And when you go to training and you talk to to other agencies that are bigger than us about what we have going on here. They they don't, it's hard for them to understand how we work together that well. And when we have other agencies come in here and see that, they're surprised because of some of the things that they see in the bigger cities or down south or you get into Florida and everybody is more, they, they really protect their county or whatever it is. And I, I just, I hear that so much and uh, one of the biggest things I'm proud of is how well, it doesn't matter what division it is, how well everybody hangs up their ego at the door and just goes to work. I mean, you got the SWAT team and the bomb team and the negotiations when they get called out, all working in unison. Uh, child abduction response team comes on board. And we have, you know, we have 19 agencies in, involved with that, and everybody just hangs it up and, and works. So... Um, I can't, uh, I'll never be able to speak enough about the incredible people that I have been able to work around. It's probably why I'm still doing this, is because of the people that we have here in this department and throughout this area that they, all they want to do is help. They want to find, they want to find the cause of it. They want to find the purpose and they want to find a result and they want to do it together. A couple of the larger cases you've worked on, you've worked on dozens over the years, but we'll go to the Cheryl Tendelin murder in 1995. Yeah. Um, 
shot while sitting uh, in her car with her husband and a and a friend, um, Barry Garcia, um, yep. believed gang member. Um, that was a difficult case for you, I'm sure. Yeah, it was the uh, first major case I've been in investigations for, oh, was even investigations for a year, a little better. Um, and then what it involved, uh, you know, we, we ended up on, and that's one of the reasons I brought up the, the great people, uh, Morid PD, and I, I, I think, uh, and I'm, if I start naming names, I don't want people to get mad if I don't name them because I'll forget. But, you know, uh, Matt Wykor and Rich Norwig and a whole host of uh, uh, the, the chief over there, uh, the way we worked together and the way I worked with Rich Norwig through that whole process and, and what we tied together and the help that we got from the PD here at West Fargo and the backing of both chiefs at the time uh, really helped make that case. Um, it went on for two years. Um, we got convictions, and then we didn't get convictions. Um, you know, I remember, I think it was Mike Charbonneau uh, got found not guilty, which everybody, a lot of things that weren't understood there, but it is what it is. And then we moved on with the rest of them and got convictions on you know the other ones that we went to trial with. But during that time, um, at the same time, we were having problem. Our gang problem was starting to increase um, because our drug people and some of the people uh, working those types of crimes were in Moorhead a lot. And because of the Cheryl Tendelin murder, and it really wasn't much of my doing, but all the agencies got together and said, it's time to take the gloves off. And start working, and start working these these gang members and these these gangs uh, much harder, uh, which they did. And and uh, I give success to all those officers that work in whether it was uh, the narcotics or uh, crimes of the street crimes guys. I mean, we really didn't have a street crimes unit at that time, but they kind of formed a. You know, each department had a couple of guys that started working on this, and I think uh, I know my brother was involved in it, Bud Warren, and uh, and that I think we knocked the socks off the gang stuff um, at that time. Unfortunately, it it took uh, the killing of you know Cheryl Tendelin, and they they kind of spread their wings and came over here one night and did what they did. So we ever able to determine and and. It was random. I mean, it was just wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, yeah wrong place, wrong time. I don't think they they, they didn't know him. Uh, we knew that they were out shooting the shotgun that night. Uh, they were tra traveling down through. They, they ended up in West Fargo. Um, you know, we never did find out if they were going to steal the car or if they were what they were going to do or if they were going to rob them. But I, something, you know, they walked up to the car and something told them maybe we should walk away from this. And then Pat seen, you know, Pat Tendlin seen them and, and thought they had a gun, so he was suspicious, so he left. He backed out of the driveway to leave. And of course, when he left, he drove by them. And when he drove by them, uh, 
Barry just pulled the gun up and pulled the trigger. And, and Barry uh, Garcia is who Barry, we're referencing yeah, here. So. Yeah, Barry Garcia, uh, just a random, crazy, uh, you can't find words for uh, taking someone's life, you know, in that fashion. Uh, Father Fernando Seasea, another significant case that you worked. Um, I think a warrant was issued for him in 2002, thereabouts. Yeah. And it took 20 years to resolve that case, essentially. Um, we had conversations over the years about it, and early on it sounded like this case would be resolved rather quickly, but it took, again, nearly 20 years. But you never gave up, and I'd ask you now and then about, hey, what's going on with, well, maybe something, and then maybe months later I'd ask you again, or maybe a year later. And, you know, um, but you never gave up, and you finally got uh, a conviction. You uh, ended up pleading guilty. He was, well, you traced him to the Philippines where he was from, and he was a priest in West Fargo and right. Fargo. And uh, you had, as I recall our conversations, you kept in touch with the two victims and yep. their mother. There was apprehension, I think, on their part to really testify, and so the guilty plea was the best resolution. How did that come to be that um, Fernando Seasea uh, ended up back back here? Well, that is, and like you said, we had, you know, uh, and I got to give you a lot of credit uh, too in that you stayed in contact with me and wanted to know what was going on. So you stayed in contact with me for 20 years. Yeah, I, I, I asked <laughs> Pretty about virtually. it quite, quite often. Uh, it wasn't every month, but every other month or whatever. And sometimes that, when you'd call, that would spur me to go, okay, what, you know, uh, what's going on? We had an idea where he was. Um, we had so many different law enforcement agencies we had to go through. Uh, the FBI had an office in Manila and at the start, I didn't understand. I understood the FBI had an office in Manila, but I had no idea what that entertained. As what, what did they do over there? What's, what is their caseload? And it took me a while to understand that their caseload was incredibly large. And a lot of times when they went over there, they're over there for six months, and then they would change out and bring another crew in because of what they were dealing with over there. So we just we just continued to call uh, the consulate over there. We we the FBI and and uh, it went on forever. You mentioned the warrant in in O2, and when we got the warrant, then we needed to get a territorial warrant out of the Philippines, so we could go get them because just because we had a you know, warrant, they had to issue a warrant for him on their homeland, so we could go pick them up off that warrant. And for a long time, the judge would not, whoever the judge or judges were through that time, would not issue a warrant. Or when they had the hearings, just everything got delayed. Uh, U.S. Attorney's Office, people changed up there. Um, so we never really had a, a overall contingent of people working on this that were tied together for any any amount of time at all. Um, the Catholic Church really didn't, to be honest, the Catholic Church really, uh, once he was gone, we didn't get a lot of assistance of 
you know, where he was. Um, MOCIC, uh, Mid-States Organized uh, Crime Information Center, um, was toward the end was huge help in, uh, they have resources, all kinds of resources for law enforcement. And I got to know one of the guys there really well who was really good at his job. And, and uh, after the warrant was issued, we knew where his mom lived, had an address, and they did go to the house a few times and he was not there, but we knew that he spent a lot of time at his mother's house, which that information we received a long ways down the road. Probably, you know, three years before he's apprehended, we start to get some of that. And then we finally found through, we finally found through Facebook that he was hanging around one of the churches. Um, and the story was that he was, he was laying low. Um, we had a person over here that traveled to uh, Manila or to the Philippines and knew of the church and had them go in there and they said they had no idea who we were talking about and he was on their Facebook. So then we knew that um, they probably didn't have him in hiding but he was getting help over there. Long and short of it, in the end, um, when the FBI, when they changed uh, personnel over there, I, and I had continued uh, calling, and uh, I think we even we drafted a we drafted a letter uh, for the president of the Philippines. They got a new president, so we had drafted a letter and sent the letter to the president of the Philippines and said, "Hey, congratulations on you was voted in and blah blah blah," and told them who we were and what we were looking for. I think, and we just continued to send it. We sent the letter uh, through email, and I think for six months I never got a, six months, eight months, I never got a response. And then we just kept sending it, and I think they got mad at us, so they sent you need to go through the Justice Department to do this and this and this, and we said we've, we've already done that, and we just need somebody to help out with that. About three, four months later, five months later, they get a new FBI agent over there, and he, he out of the blue, he called the West Fargo Police Department and said, look, we're forming a task force, and they, they, were, they, were, doing, they were doing a task force for a number of crimes that they were looking for people that were involved in the crimes, and Father Sayasaya was one of them they were going to look for, and he said, listen, we'll give this, we will give this one last shot. I said, okay, absolutely. Uh, works for me, and uh, just keep us informed. And I think it was a couple of weeks later. They said, "Well, we think, we think we found him. We think we know where he's going to be. We're going to do surveillance for a few days." And I think they did surveillance for three or four days and found him. He showed up, and he got arrested. And then the marshals uh, flew over and finally uh, brought him back here. And uh, said. I don't know if that was in 17, 18, or whenever it was, but um, so that's uh, incredible. Uh, I could talk, uh, we as a police department could talk about that all night long because of the time that it took and, and some of the things that were, were against us. Of course, he was over in the Philippines, and that's a whole nother, a whole nother story. So, um, but a lot of good work, and, uh, and one of the main reasons that uh, we kept pushing 
and I kept sending letters or calling the FBI over there was because of uh, the victims, and actually one of the victims who now lives in, in Texas didn't believe or ever thought that we were ever going to work hard enough to ever get Fernando back here for what he had done to him. So that was a driving that was a driving force as well, and uh, and we did hear from him afterwards, and and uh, he pretty much he said I've uh, I've gained respect for the West Fargo Police Department again for your continued work. We didn't think that you would ever go any further uh, than where you were. We didn't think you'd ever get get back here. So it's that's and I think I said a long time ago that's about the. Uh, it's about the victims. Uh, that's why we do this. It's not, it's not for us, um, because they have to have some closure and they have to have some end to it as well. Because there was no question in our minds that these crimes happened. There was absolutely uh, no question because of some of the small evidence that we got, and uh, some of the continued things that Father Sayasaya was doing while he was here in the states. So. Coming up on nearly 48 years in law enforcement, um, I think that's pretty close uh, by the yeah, time you retire. Yeah, we want 48 and a half, I suppose. We're <laughs> um, the climate has changed in the last several years. It seems to be that there's a somewhat of an anti-law enforcement sentiment among some people. Um, do you see that? Do you sense that? Yeah, uh, do. But I sense it, and of course we all have seen it, what's happening in the United States. And, and I think, you know, we've talked, uh, officers and I, we've talked about this. And uh, law enforcement is kind of a roller coaster ride um, when it comes to the public and who's built rapport with the public, what have you done, how does the public perceive what we do every day? Now we're never going to get we're never going to get to the point where everybody loves law enforcement. Not going to happen. Everybody everybody has their feelings about it. But um, Paul, I really look at I look we'll just take North Dakota and I, I just look at it from everything that happens in the big cities and what we get. A lot of that will trickle down to us eventually law changes or how the public feels about law enforcement or some of the destruction that happens because of law enforcement, um, some of the shootings that have occurred and people going to, officers now going to prison for that and police officers probably not taking or, or looking at, I shouldn't say police officers, but people wanting to be a police officer and looking at that and probably not or changing their course in their life and not wanting to be a police officer because of what has happened nationwide. And we see that in the number of officers that are applying for positions in this area compared to what it used to be. But I still say that Fargo, West Fargo, Moorhead, North Dakota, um, we're kind of on an island when it comes to what's happening in the other parts because it doesn't have, we never get that complete effect effect of what some of the other, uh, Minneapolis, um, 250 miles away, what they're dealing with. And 
yeah, there's some animosities, but I, I really think in this area uh, we have pretty good rapport with the public. We have the pub. There's no question we have the public behind us here from what we see every day. And it's not just about what we've done uh, to progress that, but it's about what the public has learned and how we've become more refined as, as police officers and police departments in this area because of the of the growth. Uh, we certainly have all have growing pains with what's going on in West Fargo. Um, but the commission, um, listen, I've been here a long time. We've had commissions that really weren't crazy about giving the police department more money for whatever, or we don't need this. And I've seen it to today where uh, our chiefs, Chief Otterness and the commission, uh, Bernie Dardis, uh, uh, Tina, they're all working together. There's a lot of things that we wouldn't have if we if we didn't have the rapport and understanding. But I think we do a much better job today of of uh, showing, explaining our our cause and what we need and why we need it. Because everybody needs a lot with the way the growth is going. So, reflecting back on 50 years nearly in law enforcement in this region, uh, Greg. Um, what would you tell a young person that might be thinking about a law enforcement career? Don't ever do it. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm uh, you know it's still uh, it's it it's uh, I look at it. It's a rewarding profession. Um, what a what you do, and it's no different than whatever job you have. You're not always going to be recognized for what you've done, but nobody can ever take away what you've done to help and all, all the good things that you do. Nobody can ever, no matter how people come after you, they can never take that away from you. Um, you're not going to get, uh, one thing I've always said, because my dad said this to me when he was trying to get me to go work in the jail. He said, uh, I'll tell you, Sonny, there's, there's, uh, there's good uh, uh, job security in law enforcement. And I went, what are you talking about? I've never seen a law enforcement laid off <laughs> or a police officer laid off, which occasionally happens. But with what's happening here, you do your job, uh, you're going to uh, construction, you know, you can have layoffs, uh, all things. That doesn't happen in law enforcement. And you get to work with, I'd probably say too, that you're gonna, you are going to work with some of the finest, uh, most conscientious individuals that you'll ever work with, and not just in law enforcement. And I'll, and I'll throw you into that bucket list, uh, Paul, because of the, the work that we've done. Uh, we built great rapport. Uh, I could talk to you anytime and tell you what's going on, and I could tell you, you can't let the public know about this. You can't. And you were always, you guys were always dead on. And I had, um, it didn't take long to build that respect. And we've been doing that. This is crazy, but we've been doing this for over 20 years, talking to each other and what's going on. And um, I could never, there was never a hesitation for me to tell you what was happening. And you can't put that out there yet 
because I'll be in trouble. <laughs> we'll wait <laughs> and we'll bit. probably mess up the investigation. <laughs> well, but I appreciate that. No, and, uh, and it's, I... Uh, it's, a, it's a two-way street, so... Yeah. You know, I'm sure it's diff- more difficult in larger markets for law enforcement to build up a relationship with reporters, and there's turnover uh, in the media and probably yeah. in law enforcement on larger markets. And I suspect, that given my contacts, it, it is difficult because I'll tell people, hey, you know, this officer, that officer, that department, we... He's been working on this, and he's you know we're we 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 know some information. But we can't go with it, and they're like, "Well, we'd go with it." Well, and I've always said, once you burn a bridge, that gets around, and then right. no one will trust you. And, and yeah. I'm sure you've seen that in the media too. Oh yeah, I've 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 yeah we've I've been burned by the media. In the same sense, there's probably some stuff that I could have given the media that I was hasn't hesitant to give to because I had been burned but I knew I, I have uh, Paul I, I have you and, and WDAY I have, I have one or two that I had complete trust in um, but how often does a investigative reporter and a police officer spend the same amount of years talking back and forth like you said the turnover is incredible and nationally it's a whole different when a when a big crime we don't you know when a big crime happens and the national media comes in it's cutthroat because every yes, everybody somebody is going to find that piece before their counterpart does and they're going to go to the next level to get that and that's what incorporates damaging uh, you know damaging relationships and damaging evidence or, or and when you do that you really you know when when you lose we lose the trust uh, it only takes takes a second to lose a trust well it takes we, a long time to build it up we've seen in in cases where national media's come in and i'm not going to criticize anybody in general but they're here today gone tomorrow so if they get some information and perhaps report on it and it might be sensitive information that the local media didn't have and that that happens has happened they got it from somewhere, and they'll throw it out there. Yeah. But they're gone, yeah. and you don't have to deal with them, and they don't have to deal with you anymore because they're just here for a one-time story, in and out, onto the next city. Yep. And you get these talk shows, and so they'll they'll call a detective and get them on TV or whatever, and just hammer them, and then that person's gone. You never talk to that person again. You never have. There's never a rebuttal, and they're gone. Uh, we had plenty of rebuttals we weren't always i think we were always on the same page we may not have been on the same paragraph all the time you know but we found we found that we found that common resolve and uh it's been uh it's been a hell of a great ride working with you really has the uh other thing i think that the public probably doesn't realize is when there's a crime and whether it's a homicide or whatever it might be there's a lot of information that you're still collecting and it's under investigation and uh, the public will say, well, why don't they say that? Well, I've heard that. Well, why don't they say, well, it's under investigation. You, you have to protect the integrity of your case until you're ready to present it to, right. to a prosecutor. Yeah. And so law enforcement cannot just go out and say, yeah, this is what we know. Yeah, we hear, yep, here it is. Here it is. Well, then if you get a suspect, he can say, well, I read it in the paper. I heard it on the radio. I saw it on TV. Right. It becomes common knowledge, and then you've got nothing 
to get them on. Yeah, you have. Because they have the information. You have the information. You confront them with the information. And if it's been made public, everybody knows about it. Yep, and you, uh, great points, Paul. And I think with what's going on right now, you know, with the, with the murders in Idaho, with the college kids, college students, and uh, with what's happening there, a perfect example of the media and the police departments being closed-lipped hey, they're being closed-lipped for a reason. It's not because they don't know what they're doing. What, what they have and don't have um, is going to make or break, uh, you know, this case. They, you, you, can't throw it, you can't throw it all out there because then they can fall back and use that. Uh, you, have to, you have to keep some of that secure, and you have to keep that evidence pure is what you have to do. So... Everything we do, we don't do alone. Um, for instance, today, uh, you have help putting this thing together. Saya Saya. Um, oh, I, I think of the, some of the kidnappings that we've had and, and uh, the people that we had to rely on and um, all the work, you know, that, that went into uh, the Cheryl Tendelin murder. And Pat, know, Pat Tendelin knows this. The working relationships that we had and the... Everybody rolled up their sleeves and went to work. You just have to have somebody keep pushing it and try to figure out what, you're, what you want your end result to be. Um, I have an incredible friends uh, inside and out, law enforcement, but the people, it, it, that's what's kept me going. It, they, well, I think we're doing it right. Uh, I think everybody that we've had to send to jail, we've had to send to prison, um, Act, they, were the, they were the suspects. We've, we've always worked very hard at that. I was taught that early on but not, by not only my dad but Don Jones. Is, I think it was uh, uh, you'd rather have, you would rather have, uh, uh, how did he say it? Uh, if you had a suspect, you would rather have them go free than have an innocent person placed in jail for one day. And that always stuck. My dad said that, and Don Jones brought it up, and that always that always stuck with me. And Dad always said, "Look, there's not many things that are fair, and there's no guarantees. And that's how you got to kind of that's how you kind of go got to go after this. And those those three things I've probably carried with me my whole life, as uh, my brother Bud did. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't." You know, bring him up. He, I, I worked with some incredible investigators, good people that were ready to roll all the, ready to roll all the time, and my brother Bud uh, was one of them, and uh, one of the best investigators I ever worked with. Then um, he ran for sheriff and uh, didn't get it, so then he went into the, he headed for the private sector. But, um, and I could if I. I'll name my brother. Um, the ones I worked with know who I'm talking about. So if I'm going to name names, and I'm going to forget somebody. They're going, well, I worked with him, and he never mentioned my name. So. <laughs> but just uh, a whole host, and not uh, good chiefs. Um, everybody was on the, everybody's been pretty much on the same page with the people on the ground. The administration stuff, sometimes, you know, we're not always going to agree, but we find common ground, and we find you know, what's going to work the best uh, for making this thing work because 
what all in all, what we're trying to do is keep the cover on uh, so it doesn't explode on us and we lose control of the crime or whatever is going on. You, you got to keep the, you're never going to get rid of all the drugs. You're never going to get rid of all the crime. You're not going to get rid of all the, you know, the, the murders because a lot of times they're heat of passion. And, but you have to, you have to try to work toward uh, making it better. And um, if we don't do something with mental health in our state and in our country, uh, this is going to get a lot worse. It really is. And uh, um, everything we see in the schools and everything, that, that's one of my ma- leaving here, that's one of my major concerns. And not just mental health in our communities, but mental health in the police departments with everything they deal with today and the calls they go on. Much more than we did. Greg, it's been an incredible career. I uh, think we've developed kind of a friendship over the years. I know we have, and uh, I know the people in West Fargo and around the community appreciate your uh, many years of service, so congratulations on your retirement. Anything planned? You're just going to take it easy for a bit. Uh, You know, um, I've talked to – I had coffee with John Fugerberg. I'll mention him because he was – He's a former crime bureau. Yep, crime bureau. He's retired and was a big part. When I started working investigations alone, John Fugerberg was a big part of uh, coming to help because we needed help a lot because we had one one detective. But, you know, I had uh, coffee with him and, and some of the other retired ones, and I, I went from when you retire, you have to have your ducks in a row and know exactly what you're going to do or your life is just it's not going to be what it is and you're going to your, your, your health will deter- deteriorate to the other side of just leave the doors open. So... Uh, we have a daughter we're going to visit in Arizona, um, take a couple months, and I'm going to leave both doors open and just let it kind of flow off. I'd like to do something part-time. I don't know what that's going to be like, you know, and both of us want to uh, uh, volunteer uh, for a few things. Um, but when spring hits, uh, we'll, have a, we'll have a pattern and a, another, another road to go down. But uh, yeah, it's been rewarding. It's been, uh, it's all about the people that I've worked with. It doesn't have a, a big deal with me and the events we're going to have going on. It it isn't. It's not about me. It's about everybody that made this happen. Because there's a lot of people that made this happen. Uh, I just didn't make this happen, and I owe a lot to a lot of people. So. Well, thanks, and it's been a pleasure working with you. So as you say, rock and roll, man. Okay, turn and burn.